I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. We have had this ministry for about going on 32 years. Uh, We started as a Bible class in my home, and it grew to be all over the country on the Internet and on TV. We are not meeting uh, in the church on Sunday and Wednesday. What we're doing, we're taping... uh, the Wednesday night message on Wednesday afternoon at 2.30. That's what we're doing right now here. And then Saturday afternoon at 2.30, we tape the message for Sunday morning. And Mike plays that on Sunday morning. I'm teaching on something that people really have a hard time with. Uh, The Seventh-day Adventist and the Jehovah's Witnesses, which are first cousins, they came out of something called Russellism. Uh, A man named Russell was, he had a movement in the 1840s. He said that Jesus was going to come back in 1843, and then when he didn't come back, he said, well, I misadjusted my, uh, my prophecies, so let me start again. He's coming in 1844. That's somewhere along that line. Well, needless to say, Jesus didn't come back then. So two groups broke off of that movement, the Jehovah's Witness and the Seventh-day Adventist. And they teach that you have to go meet every Saturday. I've already brought this out to you. Jesus resurrected from the dead on the first day of the week. Over and over again, Jesus says, I will be crucified and I will resurrect the third day. And it doesn't mean any other thing but that. Uh, People want to try to say, but what about the Bible saying that uh, Jesus said, as uh, Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, three days and three nights, three days and three nights would be 72 hours. So if he's in the tomb 72 hours and he rose after the 72 hours, that would put him into the fourth day even if it was a fraction of a second after the 72 hours. And I'm going to say it again. The Jews had a word, synecdo, K-S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. You can look this up in a Webster's Dictionary. It means a part of something is the whole of something, is the whole. So if Jesus was crucified on Friday, and he was, and he was, because of several reasons, then they and he was put into the tomb. He was put into the tomb somewhere before sundown. The Jews said if it was a part of the day, they had to count the whole day, and they had to count from six o'clock Friday back to six o'clock Thursday. Then they had to count the next day, which would be Saturday, Saturday, and they had to count that. That's They counted that full day, and then he rose from the dead the third day 
in the morning so he wasn't even in the tomb a full day the third day much less the first day but they call that three days and three nights and that's all I'm going to say about that now in the first century in the first century they worshipped Jesus since he arose from the dead on the first day of the week they worshipped him on the first day in Acts 20 and 7 on the first day of the week Paul preached and then in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians let every man lay by himself in stores God has prospered him on the first day of the week that Sunday they the Roman Catholic Church did not transfer the Sabbath to Sunday. The only reason we worship Jesus on the Sunday is because that's the day he rose. It was called the Lord's Day. Besides that, nobody went to nobody went to a temple or a synagogue to worship Christ. They sat at home. Exodus Exodus, the 16th chapter, says that on the Sabbath day, they all had to stay in their place or in their house. They couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't light any fires. They couldn't, they couldn't have any pleasure. So you can't watch your TV and watch football or basketball or anything like that. If you're going to keep the Sabbath holy, well, what happened to all of these rituals? There's two handwritings two handwritings there's the law written on tables of stone that's in the old testament for instance deuteronomy 9 god wrote on tables of stone with his finger and then in second corinthians the third chapter now he writes on fleshy tables of our hearts fleshy tables of the heart one of these he blotted out the Bible says in Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What did he nail? Not the law, the letter of the law. The letter of the law. The law comes in two parts, the letter and the spirit. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. I'll say it one more time. I've said it so many times. When they wanted to do it with one contract, they always had with their contracts, they had two witnesses. They would take the two witnesses and the two original contracting parties out in public. And that says, everybody in agreement, we're going to invalidate this contract. They'd say, yes. And they'd drive a nail through it like we would take a notary stamp. What that did, that made everything in the Old Testament all of the law was only spiritual from then on. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, the, the letter of the law was nailed to the cross. The Spirit is still here. Every one of the, of the rituals that we had in the Old Testament, from Passover to Pentecost to the Feast of Ingathering, which is the same thing as the Feast of Huts, are the Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles, and the Day of Atonement. And I go through all of this. I go through the spiritual Passover, the spiritual 
uh, Pentecost and the spiritual day of atonement. Atonement and baptize have the basic same meaning. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I've done that. I'm just kind of resetting this thing. Faith or believing God is the Sabbath. Provoking God is unbelief or rebellion or no Sabbath. Sabbath does not mean seventh. Sabbath, Shabbat, S-H-A-B-B-A-T-H, means rest. There's a word. You have words that mean something that you do in the Old Testament and in the New. The thing that you do on the Sabbath in the Old Testament, Old Testament, that you do on the Sabbath is nothing. You rest. The word is Shabbat in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it is Sabbath. Sabbath, and it means rest. And the thing you do in the Old Testament is Nuwak, N-U-W-A-C-H. And it means rest. In the New Testament, you have the word Sabbath. And there's something you do on that day, and that's koptal pausis. It comes from koptal, meaning down, and pausis, P-A-U-S-I-S, which is the word pause in our language, and it means to settle, to cease, or to settle down. That's what it means. And I'm going over back over here to the third chapter of Hebrews, so you can follow along with me. There's some things in here in Hebrews, the third chapter, I've never heard any preacher even deal with. It tells you that the Sabbath is now spiritual. I can go through, I've gone through the Passover, there were four items at the Passover. There were there was a Passover lamb. You find that the Passover lamb in the New Testament is Jesus. There in First Corinthians the fifth chapter, Christ is our Passover lamb. Well if the Passover lamb is spiritual, all the rest of it's spiritual. You had bread, unleavened bread for seven days. And Jesus said, we being many are one bread, not Jesus, Paul said, we being many are one bread and one body. And that's over in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 17. And then there was four cups, and there was an official term for the third cup of the Passover called the cup of blessing. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing which we bless. Cup of blessing was an official term for the third cup of the Passover. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, but the blood, to drink of a cup of blood, we weren't allowed to do that as believers, and neither were the Jews. That's why they had, they had to bleed all of their 
all of their sacrifices. Go to the C volume of McClinic and Strong Lookup Cup. They'll tell you all about what drinking a cup was. It meant to die or undergo a death. It meant to taste death. Then you had bitter herbs. The, the Lord tells Israel in the Old Testament, I'll cause you to drink wormwood when you're rebellious against me. That was a bitter herb. Well, that's what we drink. We go through the fire and the trials. That That's just in all the literal, the, the literal rituals of the Passover were nailed to the cross. You get into Pentecost. That's the bread. That's where they would wave the bread before the Lord because that was that was the beginning of their harvest. And you get on through that. Pentecost means means it's the 50th day after the Passover. It is the waving of the bread towards God. And that's what we do. We're the bread that we wave before God. And then you've got the day of atonement. Atonement and baptize have the basic same meaning. You don't dip anybody in anything anymore. You just don't do that. Baptize is the word baptizo. Comes from baptizo with bapto. And in the day of atonement, the Bible says, the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled. That's in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, 16. And the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled. The Bible says, now our hearts are sprinkled. Hearts sprinkled. The law was written on tables of stone, kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. And now our God has written upon fleshy tables of our heart. One of these is blotted out. Certainly not our hearts. And the bread, the the bread... The showbread was here. They had the veil here. The Bible says the veil is the bread. The veil is the flesh. The flesh is the bread. The bread's the body. The body is the church. We enter into by a new living way through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And the flesh is the bread, and the bread's the body. The body's the church. And all of those are equal. And a high priest after Melchizedek. And Jesus is the atonement goat. And our hearts are sprinkled. And the sprinkling of the Ark of the Covenant was called Kafar. Kafar with Kofar. Baptizo means to cover. Babto means to stain with the dye. Kafar means to cover. Kofar means to stain and to die. And to die. And when the Lord told Noah, pitch the ark within and without with pitch. The first word pitch is kafar. And the second word pitch is the noun. Pitch is the word kofar. K-O-P-H-E-R. The spiritual day of atonement is when God baptizes our hearts and sprinkles our hearts. We're elected unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood. We Baptized doesn't mean to immerse anybody in anything. Not originally. It was a verbal noun. It means there was a subject here. 
and that there was a fluid coming from an outer source on the subject that would stain and die him. And a blood baptism was a death. When Jesus asked James and John, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He didn't mean, can you be dipped in water? He's going to die the next day. Are you going to be able to die the martyr's death? They said, yes. And he said, both of you will. I know this is strange to a lot of people. I don't believe in dipping anybody in water or sprinkling water on anybody. When you go into the concordance, you look up baptizo. And it, look up baptize, and it'll say baptizo. You look up the number, the number, and it will say see this other number, and it'll say bapto. It'll mean to stain with a dye. And a blood baptism was a death in the first century. And baptizo with bapto was a household term that women used to stain and to dye clothes. I don't know why I'm the only guy that can find this. I've got many historians and books. You can look up the word baptizo over here. And Mr. Strong, who published these Strong's uh, encyclopedias, says baptize not, says these are the very words in the McClinican Strong, not being a verb, verbs show action implying motion. And you know, people are not going to believe this, mainly because the rest of the world don't believe it. You can give people the facts and let right down in front of their eyes, well, if they don't mean that, it's because you're ignorant. That's because you're trying to side with the world. You can't do that. Siding with the world is the wrong thing to do. Now, I'm going to talk about one more time this right here, this second, this third chapter. I'm trying to explain something. People say, you, you go to too many subjects. The Bible is one living word. It's not the words of God. It's the word and everything's connected to one another in it. Everything, just like these words here. Kafar with kofar. In fact, you can look over there in Genesis, the 32nd chapter, 31st chapter, where that Jacob is coming back and he has a bunch of cattle with him, a bunch of sheep, a bunch of goats, and he's bringing them back. And the Bible says he wants to appease the face of Esau. In other words, cover it. That word appease is the word kafar. He wants to cover his face with a sacrifice that goes before him so Esau won't kill him because he stole his birthright. I love that. Because when Esau sees all of this, Jacob is coming back after 20 years over in the land of Haran. We call it Babylon. or We actually call it Iraq. And Esau says, whose are all these animals? And Jacob says, they're yours, my Lord. He feels so guilty for lying about his, lying to his father-in-law, lying to Esau, lying to his own father. Jacob was a scoundrel at times. But coming back, God changed his name to Israel there in the 32nd chapter. And Jacob begins to live like a human for the first time in his life. 
like a man that's forgiven of his sins. Now, I want us to look here at this in chapter 3. This will tell you what the Sabbath actually is. Look here in, I'll read the first part of this, then I'll read the last, the last verse and of the chapter. Here in verse in verse 8 Harden not your hearts It means to be calloused as in the provocation They harden their hearts when you see the word provocation you're talking about Provoke always means to, it's the word in the Old Testament, naats, N-A-A-T-S. N-A-A-T-S. And in the New Testament is the word parapikrano, P-A-R-A-K-R-A-I-N-O. P-A-R-A. K-R-A-I-N-O. And they have the basic same meaning. It means to scorn God's word. It means to not believe what God's telling them to believe. So you're going to find that when they harden their hearts, it's talking about this began in Numbers the the 13th and 14th chapter of Numbers. They were coming out, their hearts were hardened, and it was unbelief. They didn't believe God could conquer their enemies. Here is the amazing thing. They were coming out of Egypt just a little over, uh, probably two months before. They were coming out of Egypt. And they leave Egypt in the 13th chapter of of Exodus. They cross the Red Sea in the 14th chapter. And in the 14th chapter, uh, Pharaoh is chasing them down into the Red Sea. And the Bible says in the 14th chapter of Exodus, God reached down and pulled the wheels off the chariots said, now you drive against my people. God drowned Pharaohs and his armies that day. So they're coming out of Egypt. And it's talking about Israel. This third chapter of Hebrews, they provoked God and they wasn't resting in believing that God could do what he said he could do. Now, when you go over here, they're coming out they crossed the Red Sea. This is the Red Sea right here. And this little uh, tongue down here, that is the Sinai Peninsula. They go down in the Sinai Peninsula. They cross the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's, the biggest army in the world at that time, was drowned in the Red Sea. And it looked like they could not get away from the armies. When they came up to the Red Sea, they said, what are we going to do? We're going to die. There comes Pharaoh's armies. Oh, God, what are we going to do? And God puts a big wall of fire around Israel. And they said, but we've got the Red Sea to go through. And 
God opens up the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground and when they walk through Pharaoh follows them down in and the Bible says Pharaoh and his armies were drowned now that was a miracle of all miracles then they come down to Mount Sinai there's Sinai there this is the Sinai Peninsula they come down they cross the Red Sea and they come down here to Sinai now that happens they get to Sinai in Exodus the 18th chapter now we're talking about Hebrews the third chapter where Israel provoked God Hebrews the third chapter Israel provoked the Lord and here's what God called provoking the Lord they didn't believe that God my this went off Mike oh there it is they didn't believe God could they left Sinai they left Sinai in the numbers numbers the uh, 10th chapter they get to Sinai and Exodus the 18th chapter so Exodus Leviticus and numbers up to 10 they're at Sinai they're at Sinai and Moses is getting the law and God's telling them how to build the tabernacle how to offer all the offerings the robes for the priest he gives them all that instruction in this from Exodus 18 to Exodus 10 in Exodus 20 Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments now what we're talking about Israel provoking God here's the main way they provoke God they go up here to Kadesh Barnea they leave Sinai in the 18th chapter excuse me in the 10th chapter and they head straight to Kadesh Barnea they go to Kadesh let me put it this way on the board let me look here let me put it like this you cannot study something in the New Testament that quotes the Old Testament without studying the part in the Old Testament. So, here's Israel. This is Israel right here. Right on the southwest corner of Israel is a place that we call, here is Egypt. Egypt. And you got the Delta land with the rivers running off down to the Nile. And then you've got, they leave Egypt, they come over here, and they have to, and they have to go down, they they go across the Red Sea, and God conquers Pharaoh here. They come up here, and they come down to Sinai. Then they come up to Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh. And God tells Israel in that 13th chapter of Numbers, they're leaving Sinai in Numbers 10. And when they leave Sinai, God, and they come up to Kadesh, God tells Israel, go into this land and conquer these people. First of all, spy out the land. Spy it, and then I'll tell you how we're going to conquer it. 
they go into the land, that land right on the southwest corner, we call that the Gaza Strip. That's where, when, well, I don't need to go into it, I guess. That's one of the places along with the West Bank that all of these Arab people had to go to when Israel was declared a nation May 14, 1948. 1948. They had to go either to the Gaza Strip or to the West Bank. And that was a place where that Israel allowed the Arabs to go and to occupy other Palestinians. And the the Gaza Strip was also called the land of the Philistines. Now here's the whole point of Israel provoking God. When they're at Kadesh, God tells them to go into the land, spy the land out, see what you got to conquer, and I will work my miracles to conquer the land. After all, I conquered Pharaoh, the largest army that no one could stop when you were leaving Egypt. Nobody could stop. So when they get to Kadesh, they go in and spy out the land, and they say, we can't conquer those people. That's called the land of Anak at that point. The land of Anak, the land of the Philistines, and the Gaza Strip are all the same thing. So they said, we can't conquer. They got giants in the land. They were probably ancestors of Goliath because Goliath was from Gath, and that was a city in the land of the Philistines. So it was probably uh, ancestors of Goliath. Goliath of Gath, one of the cities. You had Gath and you had Akron uh, and the land of... uh, You had several cities there. You had... So when they went in, they said, we can't conquer these giants. So God said, what I'm going to do, since you've rebelled against me and you don't think I can conquer this land like I conquered the talker, the Egyptians in the Red Sea, I'm going to make you wander through the wilderness a day, a year for every day you were in the land to spy it out. They were in there 40 days. And this has to do with the Sabbath. Believing God has to do with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is actually believing that everything that God is doing, he will fight the battle, and he's more than capable of winning all the battles in our life. If we can learn to stop worrying about how big a situation is, how big your house note is, how little your job is, and you think you can't conquer, you can't conquer anything. God can. Now, in this same chapter... In Hebrews 3, I've brought this up before. I can't teach the whole chapter without reading certain things in it. And he says in verse Hebrews 3, verse 17, But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? What were the 40 years for? They were going to have to wander the land 40 years You know what I believe they should have named the book of Numbers? I don't particularly like the word Numbers because Numbers, 
the book of Numbers is all about the adventures of Israel in the wilderness until they get to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And God says, I've got to kill off all the soldiers that are 40, excuse me, not 40, that are 20 years old and upward. 20 years old. Evidently, 20 was the was the age you had to be when you were in the Israelite army, 20. He says, because of the soldiers wouldn't go into the land, I'm going to make you one of the wilderness for 40 years and kill everybody from 20 years old and upward. That was soldier age. Now, i got more to say about that. Now, the this whole chapter here in Hebrews 3 is about numbers 13 and 14 and some other chapters as well. That's where they begin to provoke God. Look what God says the word provoke is. Or, or to scorn God's word. And he goes on to say in verse 17, chapter 3 of Hebrews, But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness over a 40-year period, all the males who were 20 years old and upward, they're all going to die because that's military age. Everybody except Caleb and Joshua. I'm going to try to tie some things together for you about Caleb and Joshua. And then it says in verse 18, To whom swear he that they would not enter into his rest? The word is katapasis. That's, and the Bible is talking about the rest of God to those people. Are those who settled or paused down, settled down, in the land of Canaan, which later on became the land of Israel. And that's the promised land. To whom swear thee that they could not enter into this rest of God, which he called Canaan. And then he says, but to them that believe not, they didn't believe that God could conquer their enemies, and that applies to us when we sit and worry about our lives and think, I got this thing I can't overcome, and you fret and you stress and you worry and you get angry and you get mad. That's not resting in God's Sabbath. Sabbath means rest. The older I get, the more I rest in the Lord. I went through years of worry and stress. I was just about half crazy when I was young. So we see that they could not enter in, enter in because of unbelief. They provoke God. That's unbelief. Unbelief is the word A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is the word faith. The alpha primitive negates the word and gives an opposite meaning. It means no faith that God could conquer their enemies. When you don't think God can handle your enemies 
and handle all of your problems and you want to stress over school or bills or whatever, you say, Jim, I can't get there all of a sudden one day. I know you can't. When you get older, you'll learn to get there because I'm 81. What am I going to worry about? I'm going to die in the next three, four, five, six, maybe ten years. I doubt that. Why am I going to stress out over it? You find that stressing is stressing is worry. Take no thought for your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or how you'll be clothed. The Heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, food and clothing, will be added to you. You can't set stressing. That's unbelief. And this is a reference to the people provoking God and scorning God's word when he said, I'll conquer your enemies. And when they got here to Kadesh Barnea, they said, well, and they went in and spied out the land. We can't handle that. Uh, We'll just have to come back and do something else and go somewhere else. And God says, just for that, I'm going to kill off everybody from 20 years old and upward. Now, Let's read a little more of this. I got to take some time on it. Here in Hebrews 3, and then I'm going to go over to Numbers 13 and 14. Numbers is one of the most interesting books in all the Bible. It's all the adventures that Israel had while they were in the wilderness. They were getting mad, getting angry, getting mad at God. Uh, Moses was correcting them. They were getting mad at Moses and Aaron. You brought us out here to die. We had plenty of food in Egypt. And you wonder why God even allowed him to live. Then he goes on to say, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works... 40 years. And while they were in the wilderness, their shoes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell up. They had a fire by night and a cloud by day to lead them. And they had plenty of food. They had manna in the morning. That's bread on out there for millions of people out there on the ground. And they had doves in the evening. And they had everything. They came against their enemy, and they couldn't be conquered. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, this generation over here, because they didn't believe God could whip these Anakims, the men of Anak, when he had beat the biggest army in the world. They do always err in the heart, for they have not known my Hodos, my ways, my narrow way. When you're in the narrow way, and it has the same meaning as tribulation, the Thalipsis way, Thalipsis, or Thalibo. That's the word narrow. Thalipsis is a form of the word. Thalipsis is the word tribulation. We must and must tribulation enter the kingdom of God. When you're in tribulation, God can conquer your enemies. When you back off and leave it alone. So I swear in my wrath, it doesn't say that. I told, I said earlier, it doesn't say my wrath. 
it says in the original text, so I swore in thee wrath. Thee wrath. And it's actually thee, tay, feminine gender, definite article O R G Ada. The the or gay feminine gender. The reason it's feminine is Babylon mothered all idolatry. They were involved in idolatry here, believing in themselves rather than believing God. And they were wanting to get back at Moses and Aaron to, for taking them out there and dying, and they wanted revenge. Well, that's the orgay. It's feminine gender because it's the wrath of the Babylonian attitude, the mother of harlots. Now, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. When you don't think God can conquer your enemies in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You get hardened, your heart's hardened, it's... it's it comes up against God and you say, I don't think God can take care of my life. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So he's saying, everybody didn't provoke God, just the ones that went into the land. Now let's go over to Numbers. Let's see what this is talking about. So you go to Numbers, the 13th chapter. I'm going to read this to you to show you what it's about. You remember, they left, they left, left Sinai in Numbers the 10th chapter they left the mountain of God Numbers 10 and here they are in Numbers 13 and God is saying go into the land of Anak and spy out the land. Now, I want us to read here in the 13th chapter of Numbers. This is one of the most interesting books in the Bible because it tells you about the adventures of Israel. They ought to have called this Israel Adventures in the Wilderness. Now, 13 verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thy men that they may search the land of Canaan. This is exactly what the third chapter of Hebrews is talking about. Which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers, ye shall send a man, every one a ruler among them. So take one man out of each twelve tribes and send a man. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all these men were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shammuah, the son of Zachur. I'm not going to read all of these. I want to skip down to verse 6. 
and of the tribe of Judah, Caleb. So Caleb, Caleb was of the tribe of Judah, so he would have been king of Israel. Let me erase this. The scepter will not depart from Judah. He would be in the king's line. Caleb. He is one of the ones that said, let's go in and conquer the land. Caleb. Of the tribe of Judah. And that's where the king comes from. So, during the time of Christ, he would have been the king of Israel. Then you go down here to you go down here to verse 16. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea in verse 8 of the tribe of Ephraim, that's northern Israel, or Joseph, Hoshea, the son of Nun. We know that Joshua's, Joshua was the son of Nun. So this is Joshua. Hoshea is the same word as Joshua, the son of Nun, Joshua. So I named these two. Now let's keep reading. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and particularly the Gaza Strip or the land of Anak. And said unto them, Get you up this very this way southward, and go up into the mountain there in southern Israel, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak. You think God knew what they were? Yeah. He's telling them, I want you to go in and prove this thing for yourself. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what the cities that they be, that they dwell in, whether the tents are, are in strongholds. I want you to find out what they're about, how strong they are, their tents, their cities, and spy them out for 40 days. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage and bring the fruit of the land, for the time was the time of first ripe grapes. Boy, they're going to bring something in the way of grapes like you wouldn't believe. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin and to Rehob as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came into Hebron. That's one of the southern cities, southernmost cities in Israel. And they're right down there in the Negev Desert, which is south of Israel at this place at this place called Kadesh and it came into Hebron where Ahiman and Sheshai and Talmai the children of Anak were these when you see they ascended by the south and came into Hebron where Ahiman and Sheshai and Talmai, these were giants in the land. The children of Anak were. And Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came into the brook of Eshkol and cut down from thence a branch 
with one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two upon a shaft. That's how rich the land was. One man on each of the shaft and the grapes were hanging down. And they bear between the two a shaft and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the brook Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. That's very important to understand. 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron, who were back in Kadesh, waiting for the word from the spies, from the Israelite spies. And to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And when they told him, and said, and they told Joshua, and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. Milk and honey meant it was a very rich land because the cattle would be giving lots of milk and the bees would be buzzing around and taking these pollen to all the different trees. That's why they called it flowing with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be too strong. They're too big for us. And just a couple of months before, God drowned all of Pharaoh's army. They're not believing God and God equates with that with unbelief in our life and equates it with not being involved in the Sabbath resting in all the things that God's doing that takes us to predestination the sovereignty of God that he doeth according to will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand nobody can stop him from conquering our enemies And he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. They're naming off all the reason they can't go into the land. You can name off every reason you can that you can't conquer your enemies, your bills your job, or whatever it is. When you, the just live by faith. Faith is death to self. Boy, I wish I understood that when I was younger. I didn't understand faith was believing God in opposition to believing myself. When the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, you can't walk by what you see. Your enemies can be conquered by God in his way. And Amorites and dwelt in the mountains and Canaanites dwelt by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, this is why Caleb was one of the two that was over 20 years old when they came to Kadesh. And Caleb will have he will get to the land of Canaan because he believed God. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once 
and possess it, for we will be able to overcome it. Boy, he was a strong faith believer. I love the New Testament word overcome. It's the word nik, N-I-K-E, and N-I-K-A-O is the word overcome. And Nike is the word victory. And the victory that overcomes the world is even our faith. And they didn't have any faith. No faith. They were provoking God. And they weren't entering into the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not spiritual. It's every day. It's not one day a week. But the men that went up with him said, the ones that went up with Caleb, they contradict Caleb's words. We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And you have forgotten that God destroyed Pharaoh's armies just a couple of months before. What? If we can learn to believe God will conquer our enemies, then we can live and venture out and do a work for God. And they brought up an evil report of the land. They're too big. They got all these they got all these strongholds. We can't conquer them and they're too tall. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. They're too big. They'll swallow us up. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. They're tall. They're Goliath's ancestors. There I saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants. We were in our sight as grasshoppers. We were like little grasshoppers upside these guys. So we were in their sight. They looked at us and go, what little scrawny nobodies you are. You're going to attack us? Chapter 14. This is where Moses and Aaron murmur against God for bringing them out here to die in the wilderness. This is the provocation that Hebrews 3 talks about. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night because all the soldiers said, we can't go in there and conquer them. They're too big. They got too much defense. We can't beat them. You think you can't beat your enemy? Everybody that hears me pray now, I pray it after nearly every prayer I pray, Lord, you fight my battles. I can't fight them anymore. All the time I could, I thought I could fight my battles. I was fighting the world, and you can't conquer them. You can with God's help in ways that you can't even believe will happen. When we started this ministry, we started as a Bible class in my house. I thought I can't handle these churches no more. They're, they're free will, their accept Christ gospel, their sinner's prayer, no predestination, no daily cross, no death to self, no self-denial. 
So we started, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I'd been in the hospital in my mid-40s with bronchial pneumonia and didn't think I'd live to be 50 years old. I'd tell my wife that. And she'd say, how are we going to make a living? I'd say, I don't know. I'm going to teach because I promised God when I was in the hospital, I thought I was dying. I said, I'll teach. And we had six or seven years, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, two, three, five, four, two people. And it went on like this for years. And I just kept telling Mary, I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach. The people need somebody to tell them the truth. And it grew. Now we're all over America, all over the world, on the Internet. We're in about 375 towns and cities on TV. I didn't put this together. I didn't even try to organize a church. I just said, Lord, you conquer this if you want to. I can't believe how spread out all over the world we are now. Let's keep reading. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. That was God's leaders. Aaron was three years older than Moses. They were brothers. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. You brought us out here to die, Moses and Aaron. We can't. What do you want us to do? Go up there and fight these nine foot six giants? Goliath was nine foot six. You want us to go fight them? We can't fight them. Well, David went and fought Goliath. And he was tough as nails, too. Or we're talking about the Sabbath and believing that God can conquer your enemies. Because he just conquered the biggest army in the world of the day. And they forgot that. Or would God we had died in the wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword of these men of Anak, of the Gaza Strip, of the Philistines, that our wives and our children should be a prey to them? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? We'll pick us out a captain, a leader to take us back to Egypt. That's what the next verse says. And they said one to another, let us make a captain. Let us return to Egypt. Then you're going to put your faith in some guy that you pick out and not God who's got earthquakes, who's got lightning bolts, who's got winds he could blow the enemy away with, hurricanes. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. They began to mourn over unbelief of Israel. You would have thought God had killed them all. Well, he threatens to. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. It's rich. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land. Well, not after your rebellion and unbelief. 
and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Do you do that? Do I do that? I have done that. I used to want to fight my own battles. I used to want to threaten people and scream and yell at them when I was younger. I don't do that anymore. I found out it's a waste of time. God's in charge of everything. He's declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times everything that's not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure. I'll do everything I'm pleased to do. That'll be conquer the enemies the way I want to. Who knows how he would have conquered the land of Anak. He could have dropped fireballs out of heaven or earthquakes. Only rebel not against the Lord, verse 9. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. <laughs> they're bread. They're nine feet tall. What are you talking about? Moses and Aaron. Their defense is departed from them. They have no defense against God. The Lord is with us. Fear them not. This is Caleb and Joshua talking to the people. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Let's kill Aaron and Moses. You say, how can they say that after God conquered the armies of Pharaoh? I don't know how can you and I say the things that we say when we haven't grown in the faith of the Lord. Faith has to increase. Remember that? Provoking God is unbelief. Is opistus. So that's little that's no faith. Little faith is oligospistus, puny faith. As the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? There's the provocation, as the Bible speaks of in Hebrews the third chapter. Harden not your hearts. Their hearts were hard. They were calloused. As in the day of provocation. How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation, mightier than they. I can just destroy all of Israel. And Moses and Aaron, I'll make you a great nation. And people say, Moses changed God's mind. No, God ordained Moses to say what he said. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. They'll hear about it, how the world conquered us, these men of Anak. For thou broughtest up this people by thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, and that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by the daytime in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night. They'll hear about that. Now if thou shalt kill all the people as one man. This is Moses' prayer to God. He's bowing to the will of God. And he's telling, he is just reminding God of what he's doing. 
He didn't change God's mind. God had this in mind to begin with because Moses was a man of faith. Now, if thou kill all the people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. God ordained the prayer of Moses here because he ordains everything. And now beseech thee, Lord, this is Moses praying. Let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. You'll kill the guilty. So God's going to kill off everybody in 40 years in the wilderness that murmured against him. They provoked God with their unbelief. Remember, Believe and faith are the same word. One's the verb, the other's the noun. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. How does God do that? Well, if you smoke and you cuss, guess what your children are going to do? They're going to smoke and cuss and maybe smoke pot. If you set an example, one generation to the next, it'll take three to four generations to get that to stop. Pardon, I beseech thee. This is Moses still talking to God. Pardon, I beseech thee, Lord, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your mercy. You're a merciful God. Pardon them, Lord. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. I did it because I put this prayer in the mouth of Moses. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That goes along with Habakkuk. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. That is a prophecy of the Gentiles later on receiving the truth and I've got a lot of verses on that it's God is going to send his truth to the Gentiles and notice he's saying this in the book of Numbers before they get into the land of Israel and before they go after Bell in the Grove this is before that because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt. I brought ten plagues upon Egypt, and that wasn't that long ago. Just a couple of months before. The last plague was Passover, the blood on the doorpost, the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt that didn't have the blood on the doorpost. And in the wilderness, it have tempted me. This is the day of temptation when they provoke God in the wilderness. Now these ten times, there were ten plagues. Have not hearkened to my voice. I destroyed Egypt in Egypt, and then I destroyed their army when Pharaoh chased after you across the Red Sea. And you're here saying you cannot go fight these men of Anak? Or what are you wrong? What's wrong with you? 
Surely they shall not see the land. Which ones are not going to see the land? He's going to tell you here in just a minute. Everybody 20 years old and up. Or 20 years old was the age you had to be to be a soldier in the land of Israel. 20. So he says, these people in these tribes that murmured against me, they don't get to come into the land. I'm going to keep them in, in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for every day they spied out the land so I can kill off all unbelief. That's why when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, they're about to cross the Jordan River to possess the land all unbelief was killed off in the wilderness down here all the unbelievers so whenever he says choose life he's talking to believers only when he says he's not saying you have the right to accept the Lord as your Savior that's not what he's saying surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers the ones that murmured against me, the ones that are above 20 years old, neither shall any of them that, that provoke me see the land of Israel. I'm going to kill them all off in 40 years. God knows how to do that. How much time to have, Mike? 24. Let's keep reading. None of them will see the land but my servant Caleb, because he hath in spirit with him and hath followed me fully. And he said, let's go in and possess the land. Caleb. Whereunto he went and his seed shall possess it. The seed of Caleb will possess it. Let me stop here and show you something. When they get into the land and you go through Deuteronomy. Joshua Judges. And you get in the book of Judges. They're going in to possess the land. And the first judge in Israel is Joshua. And Joshua dies there in that third chapter. In the third chapter. Let me show you. In the third chapter, excuse me, second chapter of Judges, verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died being 110 years old. So he leads Israel into the land. Moses is not allowed to go in because he rebelled against God and struck a rock twice when God told him to speak to the rock. I'm not going to go into that right now. So Joshua dies and they buried him in the border of his inheritance. This is in verse 9 of Judges 2. Timnath Herez in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord. When they came into the land, these were all believers. But there arose people in Israel that knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And these people... And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods 
the gods of the people which round about them and bowed themselves to them and provoked the Lord to anger and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth a generation after these people that came into the land then when Joshua dies they need another leader look over here and I'll go back to numbers in a minute but I have to put this in here numbers 3 Verse 5, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites. Verse 5, chapter 3 of Judges. They dwelt among the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives, and God says, don't do that. The women will stay at home and teach your children sun and tree worship. And they gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. This is not what the KKK says. They're not supposed to intermarry races. You're not supposed to marry truth to a lie. The women will stay at home and teach your children sun and tree worship. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rithatham, king of the Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan Rithatham eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, they're going after idol gods. The Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Canaz. Caleb's younger brother. So, Caleb's lineage is here in Israel, and he will be of the lineage of Judah to tell Israel what to do. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon Canaz, a descendant of Caleb. Now go back over here. I just wanted to show you that so when they get into the land... Only Caleb and his family of that tribe are going to be spared. Go back over here to chapter 14, verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. And tomorrow turn you and you will and get you in the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? And you've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel when they murmur against me. And they say, we can't believe that God can conquer these men of Anak. And say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses to everyone that murmured against me and said, we can't go conquer these men of Anak. The carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. All of you will die in the wilderness over the 40 years. That's why when you get to Deuteronomy and God says, choose life, He's only saying that to all believers. They're all believers in Deuteronomy. He's killed off all the unbelief. 
Or when you get to the book of Joshua, the last chapter. Choose you this day whom you will serve. He's talking to believers. And he gives them a choice of two evils. You're going to serve the gods that your father served before the flood? Or are you going to serve the gods of these people, these pagans in the land? He doesn't give them a choice between good and evil. He gives them a choice between evil and evil. You need to read that again. People try to use that to prove free will. Ain't no such thing as free will. Now, look here in verse 28, chapter 14. I don't know any other way to give this to you than to read it. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, are going to die in the wilderness. God knows how to pick them out. You're going to die, you're going to die, and you're going to die. That, that there's something else that goes with this 20 years old. 20 years old and upward was evidently, I called it draft age. It was You had to be 20 to be serving in the Jewish army at that time. I got to show you this. I don't know if I need to right now. Let's look at verse 30. Doubtless you shall not come into the land, everyone that's rebelled against me. I know everyone that you are, and I'm going to kill everybody that said, I can't do my job as your God. That's what you're saying to God. What is it he has to kill off in you and I? He's got to kill off something. He's got to kill off unbelief, doesn't he? And what a part of us doesn't believe. There was a man in the in, in the ninth chapter of Mark. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then he said, Help thou mine unbelief there's a part of me Lord that don't believe help thou the part of me that don't believe what part of us don't believe the outer man God's got to kill off just like he did with all those people in the wilderness there's an outer man that serves the law of the flesh. This is over in Romans 7. Romans 7. It's also in Colossians 3. It's also in Ephesians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. It's also in Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. God keeps saying, put on the inner man. Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And there is unbelief in that outer man. Unbelief. This goes along with First John 1 and 8 and First John 3 and 9. 1 and 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Where is the sin that we have? This outer man. 
And then 1 John 3 and 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. What part of us doesn't commit sin? This inner man that's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you. So the part of us that God has to kill off, just like he killed off all the unbelief in the wilderness, is the outer man. He's got to kill that off. And over years of trial and fire, just like he put Israel through fire and trials all through the book of Numbers. Boy, you need to read the book of Numbers. You'll see all the trouble they went through. Their murmurings against God. And he put them through fire and trials. This is a picture of the church. They were called out of Egypt. Called out. Ecclesia. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. And comes from kaleo. And ek meaning called out. Called ek out. We got our word exit from that. So they were called out of Egypt. We're called out of this world to live righteously and godly and holy. And that's the church. Ecclesia is the word church. The called out. So everything they went through in the wilderness, we're going through. And sometimes we get so discouraged and down, we think God can't fix this. And he can. He's not going to fix your problems as long as you're fixing them yourself. He's just not going to do that. Whatever problem you've got, I don't care what it is. If you think God can't, God can't take care of that. You are in unbelief. Let me read a little more. Doubtless she shall not come into the land. Everybody from 20 years old and upward that has rebelled against me. Concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb, the son of Japuna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. That's all. When they got to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh. Everybody that was 20 years old and upward that had rebelled against God was going to die in a 40-year period in that wilderness. They were going to die. And all that will be left were those that believe God. And that's the same way that it will be with us. Only Christ in you will, as you go through years of trial and fire and persecution, everything you go through is exactly what they went through. It's spiritual but it's what they went through in the wilderness. And when you get through the land, those that rest in Christ, those that caught apostles, those that settle down, settle down, those are the ones that's going to enter into God's rest through belief. He said they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Now let's keep reading. I love the book of Numbers. You'll not enter the land, save Caleb and Joshua, but your little ones which you said should be a prey, them will I bring into the land. You say they're going to be a prey to their enemies. Notice, when they get to Kadesh Barnea, everybody that's in the army, 20 years old and upward, that murmured against God, that means... You had to be 19 to survive. So some of the the people that survive are going to be 
after 40 years, they're going to be 59 years old when they were 19 at Kadesh. Just add 40 to that, and that's how long they're going to stay in the wilderness. Now, let's get back to this 14th chapter and see what God's got to say about these people. The little ones will go into the land. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. That's the outer man that doesn't believe God. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcass be wasted in the wilderness. After the number, a whoredom was an unbelief. It was spiritual harlotry was unbelief. The Bible teaches that. After the number of days in which we search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even 40 years ye shall know my breach of promise. You have breached my promise. He had promised, if you obedient to me, you can conquer your enemies. You'll go against them one way, and they'll flee seven ways. I don't care how many there are or how big they are. Doesn't have anything to do with anything. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. But the ones that provoked me and said, I can't conquer the men of Anak, you really messed up. That's like saying, There's some giants in my life. There's a giant of unemployment. There's a giant of the coronavirus. It doesn't mean you're going to get through the coronavirus. If you die, you go get to be with the Lord. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against God, by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon that land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Japuna, which were of the men that went to search the land, live still. That's a picture of Christ leading us through all this. And Moses told those sayings unto all the children of Israel. And the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and get them up in the top of the mountain and sang, Lo, we be here, we will go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. Oh, see, they're changing their mind now. Okay, we'll go up there. We've sinned. We'll go up. God says, it's not going to do you any good now. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But you'll not prosper going in now because you're the ones that murmured against God. It sounds like Saul. Remember Saul over in the 15th chapter of of 1 Samuel? And, and God came to Samuel and told Samuel, Tell Saul his day is over. He's not king anymore. I'm anointing a man down in southern Judah uh, of the son of Jesse, and it'll be David. And Saul kept saying, Oh, I'm repentant. I'll repent. I, I'm, I'm sorry. And that's what Israel is doing right here. We're sorry we didn't believe God. God says, That's not going to help now. 
You're just going up there because I have condemned you and told you you're going to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to him in verse 42, Go not up, for the Lord is not among you. You want to repent just to save your life now. It's not way up. that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you're going to fall by their sword. See, you're, not, you're only wanting to repent in order to save your life. Because you turned away from the Lord, therefore and the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up into the hilltop, Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. The Ark of the Covenant had to go before the army in order for them to conquer. People said, we'll go without the Ark of the Covenant and we'll do what God said to save our lives. Ain't going to work. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites was dwelt in the hill and smote them and discovered them even unto Hormah. Chapter 15, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come down into the land of your habitations, which I give unto you, and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, or a sacrifice in performing a vow, or a free will offering. That means you do it because you want to. It's not a requirement or in your solemn feast to make a sweet savor unto the Lord of the herd or of the flock. And he goes through this and says, you're going to have to offer sacrifice for these people because they didn't care about God's ability to win for them. That applies to us. Am I out of time, Mike? Three. Three. I wanted to take you... I'll go into this next week. When we showed that military age was 20 years old and upward, I wanted to take you to 1 Samuel. I'll go through this next week. I wanted to take you to 1 Samuel to David. David was just a shepherd boy. He wasn't in Saul's army because he probably wasn't old enough, but he was certainly adept enough. He was good enough at fighting and went out and killed Goliath. And Goliath was one of those men of Anak. He was Goliath of Gath. That's a city in the Philistines. In the ancient world, it was the land of Anak. And David went out and said, I'll kill this guy. And he was not why was David at home keeping the sheep and his brothers were off at war? They were older than they were old enough to be at war and David was probably about 17 or 18, but you had to be 20 to be in the army of Israel. That's why he's going to kill everybody from 20 years old and upward. I don't want to go any further into anything else, but I'll come back and go through this thing with David not being 20 years old. And that's why he was fighting. He went, out, he went out to where his brothers were at war with the Philistines, and his older brother Eliab accused him of being naughty or wicked for wanting to come out there and look at the battle. And David said, Is there not a cause 
The word cause is the word dabar. It means a commandment. Isn't there a commandment that we can go against our enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways if the king is righteous? The king at that point was David. It wasn't Saul. God had had Samuel anoint David as king. So that's why he could whip Goliath. I'll come back next week and we need to understand the Old Testament. You can't understand Hebrews, the third chapter, without understanding Numbers, the 13th and 14th chapters. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for truth. When I say fight my battles, Lord, you know I mean that. I have fought too much in my life, and I don't ever want to fight anyone again. If I have enemies that want to try to stop this message and this ministry, Lord, you stop them however you want to. I know that you're in this ministry, and you, you've caused us to stay for going on 32 years, and you fight the battles that you won't fight the way you want to fight them. Lead us to your elect family. Lord, we'll praise you for everything, give you glory for everything you do. Teach us what to pray for and how we ought to pray. Teach us how to rely upon you and your defense of our lives, and we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. That's hard to go through all that and understand all of it. But that's pretty simple. It's about us.